thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Let's thank our worship team for leading us out today. And isn't it so good to celebrate believers as they follow the Lord in believers' baptism? I'm going to tell you, just don't get any better than that right there on a Sunday morning. Welcome to Connect Church, uh, where it's our heartbeat to connect everyone to the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, together today, to make much of Jesus. If you're visiting, we are honored by your presence here today. Thanks so much uh, for being a part of what God's going to do right here and what He's already done right here in our midst today. And as we start out today, you know, in just all honesty, as I think I have a wet spot above my knee, don't I? I do. I assure you this is from baptism, okay? Um, any wet spots right now? Because I'm not even in the message, but uh, uh, this morning... Um, Man, we've got to pray for the Ukrainian people. We've got to pray for brothers and sisters in Christ who, while we meet here open and in freedom, have been forced to worship underground because the actions of an evil man with an evil desire has been brought upon an innocent people. You know, I found a quote this past week, and uh, I love this. This is from the president of the Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary. Talking about the church in Ukraine today, the church will go underground. We had to do that under the Soviet Union. The church did not forget what it means to be persecuted. We will rearrange, reorganize, and do what we have always done, and that is to preach the gospel. You know, I've seen a lot of posts on why Ukraine matters talking about imports and exports and natural resources and political and geopolitical uh, considerations. And, and at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you something. Those things are important. But let me tell you why Ukrainians matter. You ready? Because God created them, because God loves them, and they are image bearers of our great God. Because Ukrainians are those that Jesus died on a cross to save, emptied a grave to fill their hearts and their lives. Hey, listen, they don't matter because of what they have. They matter because they are, they are people dearly loved by God. And so I just thought maybe it would be fitting today for us to, to pray for them. In my spirit, can I tell you what I, I want to do so bad? I, I want to get into an airplane and fly over there and take up arms and fight for them. But I know somebody who's a whole lot better at doing that than me. I listened to their president, President Zelensky. Dude, what a leader. With his people. Will not desert or flee to stand strong. To fight for their freedom. And I simply pray that the Lord would fight many battles for them. And give them victory. So can we just, as a church, can we pray for the Ukrainian people today? Let's do that. Let's bow our heads just and go before the Lord. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name interceding, bringing the Ukrainian people to you through prayer today. Knowing, Father, that as much as it breaks our heart here today, Father, I I can't imagine what it's done to yours. Father, thank you that you care and you are at work. And God, you're working alive even in the church in Ukraine that's now having to meet underground. But Father, we pray this, that Lord, in your sovereignty, you would thwart the plans of an evil man and his evil dream and desire. 
that, God, that you would work through President Zelensky, protect his life and the life of his family, God, and, and all the Ukrainian people, that, that, Father, you would give them victory, that you would confuse the enemy, God, that you break down the enemy, Father, so that at the end of the day, the Ukrainians may know victory. I pray, Lord, that you would protect life and that, Father, you would grant peace. Be with your church, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are, who are refusing to abandon their post. That in the time of war and darkness, that, that, Lord, you would use them to be your great light. And that, Father, that you would advance the gospel and even your kingdom of light where the kingdom of darkness seems to have its rule. And so, Lord, we lift them up to you. Father, would you do a work? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you for that moment together. You know, last weekend we had a pretty incredible uh, marriage retreat. And um, we quickly learned that that was something as a church we wanted to do. You know, we're three years old. Uh, we, we didn't know how people would respond to a marriage retreat uh, two minutes away at Dream More. And, and it was overwhelming. It filled up so quickly. And so many of you guys remained on a waiting list or you just gave up hope and weren't able to come. And so what we decided was that this morning we're going to do a a marriage conference right here. This morning, right here in this place. Now, don't you check out on me if you ain't married yet because we're going to come back around for a moment. Why would we do that? Let me share with you one of the questions that was uh, posed to me. How do we, how, do we stay in a mar- how do we stay married when our marriage is struggling? One of the questions asked, and this was actually a pretty common question, is how do we stay married when our marriage is struggling? It's a pretty good question. So what we're going to do is we are going to host a one-day, one-segment marriage conference here today. Now, if you went, but I went to the marriage retreat, right? Well, listen, ladies, your husband has forgotten 99.9% of what we talked about, okay? In fact, for those men, let me just share with you something I found. Uh, did you know February is a really important day? Uh, for, we, we get a holiday in the midst of this. There are three days out of this month that you and I, man, we are right all the time in our families. You ready? It is the 29th, 30th, and 31st of February. Isn't that great? That's our holiday. But you know what? Maybe, just maybe, we might need a little bit more than that today. Maybe, just maybe, we need to start answering this question biblically. Because if not, there's a whole lot of brokenness when our marriages are are broken. And you might be here and say, well, listen, I already did the marriage retreat. Hey, don't check out. This is going to serve as a refresher. Um, maybe you're here and you're a student or you're a young person. You're like, man, man, I'm way too young to be married. This is in Alabama, right? You're way too young to get married. And you say, man, what does this have to do with me? Well, let me, let me just kind of frame it up this way. The decisions you make for Jesus today will determine how good and godly of a husband or wife you will be tomorrow. And, and so, by the way, hey, young people, let me just let me throw this out there. Are you praying for your future husband, your future wife? Hey, parents, are you praying for the future spouses of your kids? Man, I do it all the time. Listen, I don't know the three guys my girls are going to marry. Here's two things I know. I don't like them, and I'm praying for them, right? That's what I know to be true. I don't know the young lady that's going to marry my son. I'll be, I love her already, right? And I pray for her often. Hey, young people. Pray for your future spouses. Mom and dad, pray for your kids and their future spouses. Maybe you're here and you're single. And you're like, what does a marriage sermon benefit me? Well, well, maybe 
somewhere out there in God's design and God's ordaining. I mean, there's, there's marriage in your future. And so what you can do now is in your heart and your life, you can go ahead and decide, you know what? Man, I'm going to take those steps, make those decisions, take those actions necessary for me to be a good and a godly spouse even before I'm married. You might be here and you are a widow or a widower. And marriage, marriage sermons and messages on marriage, they're, they're tough. In fact, they can, they can hurt a little bit, but I want you to hear me, they can also help. They provide you, and I pray that today, if you're a widow or a widower, I pray that today in this message will provide you an opportunity, a moment of celebration to celebrate the best parts of your marriage. Maybe you're here and you are single and you're like, I'm not getting that t-shirt again, right? Like I, or I've been hurt by marriage or it's just not, it's not in God's plan for my life. What does a marriage sermon have to, have to do with me? Why does it matter to me? Well, let me give you two reasons why. Number one, you know married people. And you know what? Maybe just maybe with the tools we kind of give you today, that it can, it can move you to praying for and, and learning how you can encourage a marriage relationship even if it's not yours. And here's the second thing, that this is also a point of celebration for those of you who are not married. Why? Because the Bible paints a beautiful picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ as that of being married. That we are the bride and he is the groom. So even outside of the context of marriage, we can celebrate our relationship with Jesus Christ through marriage. And so today, we don't talk about just surviving in marriage. How do we thrive? Well, we don't talk about just divorce-proofing our marriage, but how is it that you and I delight in the husband and in our wives? How can your marriage and mine serve to the, the glory of God and watch God work it to the good of us and so many others. Let me share with you three truths I know from God's words. You ready? I want you to listen closely here. Don't, don't check out. Don't check out. Number one, God loves marriage. It's his idea anyway. Number two, God loves your marriage. Number three, God is for your marriage. Those are three truths I know from God's word, no matter the state of your marriage today. Because here's the deal. You might find yourself saying this today. You ready? My marriage is broken. You might be sitting here going, my marriage is broken today. Well, well, let me tell you the good news. I know someone who's really good at fixing broken things. You might be here and say, my marriage is, is dead. It's, it's done with. Let me share some good news with you. I know a God is really good at bringing dead things back to life. You might be hearing you say this, my marriage is good. And man, I hope that's your testimony. And if I hope it's not your testimony today, I hope we get there quickly. My marriage is, is good. Let me share something I know to be true. Someone's after your marriage. And let me tell you what the Bible says about him, that he only kills, steals, and destroys. That he's like this prowling lion seeking that which he could devour, and he's coming after your marriage. I know someone who's after your marriage, but I'm going to tell you the better news, I know someone who's far greater than even him. That's, that's even greater than him who can take a good marriage, and he can make it an even better marriage today 
So how do we do it? How do we have a strong and and healthy, a a happy marriage? And here's what I want to kind of throw out there to you. So uh, for our marriage conference, folks, this is just a refresher. But here we go. We've got to be bought into one equation, one formula for you and I to have a marriage that is to the glory of God and as he works it to our good and the good of others. You ready? Here it is. We must be greater than me. We must be greater at the end of the day than just me. Now, let me talk to you about this we. What makes up this we portion of the formula? You ready? It's, it's this. We understand this in Christ, that it is, it is Jesus. And then we find ourselves with the husband and the wife. That is what we is to the power of three. It is Jesus, it is the husband, and it is the wife. That is the we portion of this. But let me tell you what happens. All too often in the marriage context, in your marriage, in my marriage, at some point, this gets inverted, and we find ourselves here that me becomes greater than we. And this whole entire thing, let me make this a little bit better, becomes inverted, and me becomes greater than we. And let me tell you what happens then. A lot of damage is done, not only to your spouse, to the kids, and to those around you. Some of y'all are like, amen, amen. We, we, you know that to be true. I don't have to preach that. I don't have to work out this equation. You know that to be true. When that inversion takes place and me becomes greater than we, a lot of damage begins to happen. Now, today I want you to hear me. I'm addressing marriage conflict and marriage problems that are kind of within the the bounds of being normal, normative, meaning they're common among marriages. I'm not talking abuse. The minute we talk about abuse, we're in a whole different playing field here, and we're in a different conversation. There's some things that need to happen. There needs to be a church that rallies to you and resources to support you. And so if you need help, man, we will get you help. But today, we're just addressing how we can be greater than me in these normal marriage tensions and and conflicts where somebody says, my marriage is broken, my marriage is is dead, and to watch God move in the midst of all of that. And so the question becomes, where where does marriage conflict and tension come to play? Can I share with you that even the person who says my marriage is good has known conflict and tension and even hurts sometimes? Guys, listen, struggle sometimes is a part of marriage. But where does conflict happen? Well, we know this, right? We used to know this from human experience, that that conflict is birthed in one place and one place alone. When an expectation is set and somebody doesn't meet that expectation, right? Now, this expectation could be said out loud. The more dangerous ones, they're implied, right? Nobody says anything. They just expect it. But what happens is, is when one person does not meet that expectation, that area in between is conflict, and that's where all conflict is birth. Every one of your marriage problems happens there. Expectations set and expectations that are not met. So what happens is we get into marriage, and you always know start playing the expectation games. Right? We begin to we start playing these expectation games, and before long, we realize that we start losing in marriage. Let me give you a for instance, right? 
I'm a guy, hopefully that's pretty obvious. And, and so as I got married to my wife, I, I, didn't, I didn't live with my wife before we got married. I, I never slept with my wife before we got married. And so one of the things I really look forward to is going to bed with my wife every night, right? We'd go to the mall, we'd register for things we're going to buy, and we'd always walk by a store, and, and it had a lady's name, Victoria, and something about a secret, right? Somewhere in there. You know what I thought in my mind? That's what it's going to look like every night we go to bed together. Let me talk about reality now. My mama, she's in the room. Mom, no eye contact in the me- this message. Um, every year she buys our wives. There's three, three boys in the family. We got, we got wives. And, and she buys them these big old huge pajama pants because apparently she don't want any more grandchildren, right? And, so, and this is what it looks like every night. Hey, but ladies, listen, I, I got to give you something here too because this is the truth. Because you know what happens? You marry your guy, he's a high school athlete, right? He's all, all in shape. He looks like Thor. And, and, uh, and, and you look at him, and by the way, ladies, that's Hollywood. Nobody looks like that. But anyway, you have your Thor, he looks great. Then all of a sudden you're two years in, and here's what you got, fat Thor. You, you got a guy in your house living in your house that doesn't have just one dad, Bob, but two. And he's sitting there in your living room. And uh, by the way, I remember the day Aaron and I went and watched this movie. And uh, we had no idea Thor was fat. And, uh, and so he comes out and he's fat. And I don't know what happened to me in the movie theater. I went, yeah! Out loud. <laughs> While simultaneously, I heard every woman in the place go, oh. <laughs> Including my wife. It was devastating for them. And I, man, I'm just going to keep his picture up for a while. Just... Helps me feel better. But here's the deal. You go into marriage and you have certain expectations and those expectations aren't, aren't met. And all of a sudden, your marriage begins to, to struggle a little bit. So often we play the expectations game and we lose at marriage. So is there a way? How is it that, that you and I in our marriages can start losing this expectation game and start winning at marriage. Now, I'm going to share with you a quote that Tim Keller once said, and I love this. Anything that you love more than God, you will crush under the weight of your expectations. Anything you love more than God, you will crush under the weight of your expectations. I'm going to read a devotional, by the way, which I encourage you guys to get. Uh, Timothy and Kathy Keller wrote this devotional, The Meaning of Marriage. It's, it's really some deep thinking and thoughts and biblical. I would encourage you to get there. But on May 12th, they begin to discuss in this devotional, reorder love. They quote Augustine, St. Augustine, by saying this, that he would write and define sin as disordered love. For instance, the sin of cowardice is loving your own safety more than the good of someone else. Lying is loving your reputation or advantage over the good and the right of others to truth. If I love my career, he writes, more than my family, I will hurt or even lose my family. But the ultimate problem is that we love anything more than God. If I love my spouse more than God, then I will look to him or her to provide the kind of steady, perfect, unconditional love only God can give. If I don't love God more than her, I don't love her for her sake. 
there's only one solution, that I'm using her to meet my needs. And so it's mainly for my sake. So what do we do? He says this, do everything you can to provide access to your hearts for the love of him who's greater than the world. Do you know what he's saying? Do everything you can to allow access in your heart for this equation. We is greater than me to play out in your life. Hey, hey, husband, is your heart open to God working this equation out in your life and your marriage? Hey, hey wife, are you open to God working this formula out in your marriage and in your life? Here's what happens, you ready? When you and I look to our marriages, our, our husband or our wives, to meet all of our needs, including those needs, that only, those needs that only God can meet, you will crush your marriage, you will crush your husband, you will crush your wife under the weight of your expectations. Now, by the way, there's some healthy expectations that we ought to, we ought to have going into a marriage relationship? Absolutely. There ought to be the uh, expectations of faithfulness to each other and love and intimacy and companionship. But there are other needs. There are other needs in our lives that only Jesus can meet. And that is why we, to the power of three, must be greater, must be greater than me. So let's take a look. At the beginning of the we portion of this formula, the marriage relationship. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. If you've been to a marriage, if you've been married, you've probably heard a verse like this pop up at some point. But if you've read your Bible, it's, it's very poignant. In the midst of this great romance, this incredible relationship that God has created and instituted, comes marriage. This beautiful, incredible, the most powerful relationship outside of Jesus on the planet. Hey, by the way, let me say something about your marriage. Whether it is dead or it is broken or it is good, your marriage is the most powerful relationship outside of Jesus on the planet. That's why the enemy's after it. That's why he's lying to you. That's why he's trying to get you to think the grass is greener somewhere else. And that's why he went after the first relationship that God created between a man and a woman, the first thing he went after was their marriage and broke their marriage. Watch this in Genesis chapter 2. For this reason, the Bible says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. I, I love this. For this reason, that they are united. That word united in the King James Version is cleave. That word means be glued together. This is, the Bible says, this is why wives, you should be glued to your husbands. And some of you just said in your mind, that's the death penalty, right? The idea of being glued to that guy is just too much. Some of you husbands, being glued to my wife, man, I'm not tithing anymore. I'm gone, right? So we're leaving. That's not what it looks like. But the truth is, is we're glued to a whole lot of other things, aren't we? How about that phone in your pocket? You know there's a way to track how much you're on it each day? We don't mind being glued to a phone, to our children to their sports. We don't mind being glued to our careers. But here it says, man, in marriage we are glued. We are glued to each other. Biblical marriage is a, a covenant, a committed relationship between one man and one woman for life. Marriage is God's idea, his design. Therefore, he establishes the marriage boundaries, parameters, not culture, not humanity, not experience, and not ideology. 
Watch this. I love, I love what Moses would write in Genesis, inspired of the Holy Spirit. You ready? They become one flesh. Do, do you see the power in that? They become one physically and, and socially and economically, legally and spiritually. We are one as husband and wife in every arena, every area of life as companions, as best friends, as believers, as lovers, and more. So here's my question for you. You ready? For every husband and wife in the room, when did one start becoming two again? When did one start becoming two again in your marriage? Was it kids? Was it career? Was it somebody else? Was it an empty nest? What was it feelings that that pushed that? When, when, when did your one start becoming two again? When did you stop believing in we is greater than me and all of a sudden me starts becoming greater than we? When did the one become two? Again, you say, well, Anthony, how did my marriage get here? Like, if you say my, my marriage is broken or my marriage is dead, how, how did we get there? Well, let me share with you a couple things. Uh, number one, one or both, just forget that R, uh, one or both of you have become me-centered. How, how did my marriage get to a broken place? or how did, how did my marriage get to a place where it's dead? One or both of you have become me-centered. One or both of you have inverted this formula and some damage has ensued. I, I love this. Uh, y- y'all know Toby Keith, the great country music writer. He had a song that came out years ago. I love it. Y- y'all may know it. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one on my, me, my. What I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. I like talking about you, 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 usually. But occasionally, I want to talk about me. And we bought into that. And what was once occasionally now becomes dominantly about me. I love what J.D. Greer says. He says, there's no such thing as married people issues. Now listen to this. There's no such thing as married people issues. Only single people issues that get worse in marriage. Man, he's right. He, listen, he, he's hit the nail on the head there. No such thing as married people issues. Just single people issues that just get worse in marriage. You say, Anthony, how else did we get here? Now, I love this. Somewhere along the way that you or both of you stopped buying into and investing into, we is greater than me. I shared this in a sermon about a month and a half, two months ago, that the sabotage of my life is more times than not an inside job. Hey, can I share with you something about our marriages? The sabotage of our marriages more times than not, is an inside job. It's, it's an inside job. When we get this equation, we is greater than me, when it gets inverted in our lives. So maybe, just maybe, perhaps the most powerful prayer that we can pray as we leave today here in a few minutes is, is not, hey, God, would you fix them? God, would you change them? But maybe, just maybe, the most powerful prayer that can evolve from our time today is, God, would you change me? God, would you fix me? Can I, can I tell you something? I love my wife. And after nearly 15 years of marriage, here's what I'm convinced. That I'm the biggest problem in my marriage. Me. So God, would you 
fix me. God, would you change, change me? Now, we want us to go someplace in Scripture that is a pretty incredible illustration of this we is greater than me. Take your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5. Now, as you turn there, I'm going to open up with perhaps the most hated Scripture in all of the Bible. Ladies, as you turn there, you will soon discover why that is, if you don't know already. But I want to go here because I think it is the most beautiful picture of the power of we being greater than me in our marriage relationships. And so if you go there, in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 22. Before anybody charges the stage, let me finish, okay? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church's body, of which he's the Savior. I, listen, I can hear it through your brain. Oh, no, he didn't. I, I don't know who that fool I'm a punch paw in the mouth. But I want you to back away. You've got to ask yourself, why is this one of the most hated passages in all Scripture? You ready? Because it's one of the most abused and misused passages in all of Scripture. Now, man, I'm going to warn you about something. I'm fixing to say something's going to sound funny to you, and you might even amen it, but I'm going to ask you to choose life and not laugh or amen it, okay? A lot of husbands have used a verse like this to say, go get me a sandwich. And have thus abused and misused the beautiful picture that Paul paints through the Holy Spirit of the marriage relationship. One of the most abused and misused verses in all of the Bible. Because here's what we found, that, that men for generations have used it to demand of women, serve me, to demean women as if they were somehow inferior. But that is not at all the aim of this passage in this text. Hear me, you ready? That women, we understand this as a good biblical apologetic, a foundation of our faith, that women were created by God equally loved and equal in value and are co-equals as image bearers of God. Women in the created order were not inferior, but equally superior with men in all creation. Now hear me. Yes, there are distinct roles men and women play in God's design. Adrian Rogers would say it this way, and I love it, that we all have sameness in value, but difference in, fu in function. And that is exactly right. We function differently. We work differently, but we have value. And here's the backdrop. Let me share this with you. Let me tell you the backdrop of this conversation in Ephesians, what Paul is writing. And that is this, in New Testament times, in Jewish culture, women were not seen as people, but they were seen as property owned by their husbands. In Greek culture surrounding them, women had to stay at home and obey their husbands. Again, men, please don't say amen. Uh, they will, they'll never find your body. Roman culture, women were given no rights at all, and they were forever the property of their fathers. Not so in God's design. Not so in God's kingdom. This relationship between a husband and a wife in Ephesians 5 is, that, is not that of a slave and a master. Not a child obeying a parent. It's not a Lord and his servant. It's not an inferior to a superior. In fact, nowhere is it mentioned here in the text that men are to obey or wives are to obey their husbands. Nowhere is it mentioned, hey wives, you obey your husbands. Rather, what we find in Ephesians chapter 5 is a relationship of a husband and wife, a companionship, a friendship, where they are lovers and they are stronger together. So what are we dealing with here? Well, let's take a look at the word that rubs against most of us in here. A word that just spoken out loud makes you go, huh? 
a word merely spoken that kind of rubs against what you, what you feel is right and good. And Let's talk about this word for just a moment. Written in the Greek language here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, I want you to understand what the word submit means. It means this. The word submit means to in a voluntary action, a voluntary action on the part of someone to yield to someone else for the greater good. Meaning this, for wives to submit to husbands, it's a willingness on behalf of the wife to say, you know what, husband, I'm, I'm going to let you take the lead for this greater good. And you say, well, what's the greater good of that? Well, it's God's design and God's ordering of the family. It's God's design and God's ordering of the family. But I want you to hear me. This is not an action that is to be compulsed by the husband. In verse 22, watch what it says here. That wives are directed by Scripture to willingly submit to their husbands. They are not demanded to do so by their husbands. This verse is not a verse for husbands to, to weaponize to Lord over his wife. I would argue to do so would be sin. Rather, in verse 22, we realize that wives submit as unto the Lord. Notice it says this, as unto the Lord and not as Lord. Because wives have one Lord and it ain't her husband. They have one Lord, as I have one Lord. And it is, it is Jesus. See, wives will willingly allow the husband to take the lead out of their love for Christ and the greater good of God's design for their family. Hear me, not under compulsion by the husband, but under the calling of God and out of the love of Christ, the wife says, you know what, I'm bought into we is greater than me. And, and ladies, you might go like this, but what if my husband doesn't deserve it? Aaron and I have a good marriage. At least we did coming into the service today. That could change by the end. But, but we had a good marriage. I'm going to be honest with you. Even on my best days, I don't deserve it. Even on, on my best days, I don't deserve it. Because we remember this, that as believers, and this is so important for us to understand, our obedience to Christ is not conditioned on how someone else acts. Rather, it's just condition on our love for Jesus. Condition on our love for him. John Piper would talk submission in Ephesians chapter 5. And, and by the way, I realize I'm a man preaching on this topic. But I'm going to tell you, I feel the, very much the weight of how important it is to preach this right. Because it's not something I just preach. It's something we get into the minivan after church with and we have to live out. John Piper says this about submission, a few things. He says, submission doesn't mean agreeing on everything. Doesn't. Don't believe me? Try to decide where you're going to eat lunch at after church today, right? Like you realize that maybe he's not agreeing on everything. Submission doesn't mean that, that wives don't try to influence their husbands. By all means, influence your husband. Submission doesn't mean putting the will of the husband above the will or the words of Christ. It doesn't. You have one, Lord. It's not your husband. It's Jesus doesn't mean getting all your spiritual strength through your husband. More times than not, the wife doesn't have that support in her life. And so she takes a spiritual lead, and, and Jesus pours into her, and the husband is, is absent. Takes no, no care of what his design by God is. And it doesn't mean this, living or acting in fear. 
You know, oftentimes we look at this context of Ephesians 5.22 and we forget the very context we find it in. Look at verse 21, the verse before verse 22. Watch this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We forget what we're playing out here is this mutual submission to each other while at the same time we are submitting to Jesus Christ. Listen, the majority of my time in my office during the week is sitting down with, with marriages that are in a thousand pieces. I, I wish they would have sat down when it was just in one broken piece. But by the time it gets to me and marriages are broken or dead, it's a thousand broken pieces. And, and almost every single time, it was broken into a thousand pieces because one or both of the spouses were unwilling to submit to Jesus so I hold a thousand broken pieces and pray that God would breathe life and would make whole that which is broken. Submit to one another. We forget the context of that. And by the way, hey, hey ladies, hey wives, can I, just, can I just share one more thought on this verse real quick? Just in case you think that submitting makes you inferior or less than or powerless, I want you to consider something. This is the very description of Jesus time and time again in his relationship to the Father. Jesus is pictured as, and positionally, he is submitted to the Father. Uh, consider 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and that the man is the head of every woman, and that God is the head of Christ. Now we see Jesus in this position of submission where he voluntarily and willingly Submitted to the Father for the greater good. And you say, what's the greater good? You ready? To save your soul and mine. We see him. Don't believe me? Go to Philippians chapter 2, where Jesus again is pictured as submitting to the Father to the point of being obedient, even death, death on a cross. And realize that that was in that moment of submission that God would say, and then I will give him the name that's above every name. That is the name of Jesus. Everybody's bowed no matter where they are. Submission is not being powerless. It's not being less than. In fact, Jesus submitted to his Father, and he was not inferior, but equally in superiority. He was equal in superiority. He was not less, but he was fully equal to God. Submitting is not a position of weakness, but it's a sign of great strength. And don't believe me, just go to Jesus. And we see his life defined that way. Well, ladies, here's the husbands. Hey, guys, you're to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a, a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Whereas wives are called to voluntarily to willingly allow the husband to take the lead for the greater good for God's design and his glory, husbands are commanded and called to lovingly and sacrificially lead his wife for the greater good as he submits to Jesus. As he lets Jesus take the lead in his heart and in his life. Man, I love my Aaron. And I want to lead her well. Now, I, I, want, I want to take my position in God's order and I want to love her well. I want to remind her of Jesus. 
and, and I want to I lead her well because let me tell you my great fear is that my wife will willingly and voluntarily submit to my lead in God's created order because she has to, not because she gets to. Because maybe in some way I've been a jerk. Maybe because in some way I've not, I've not loved her like Jesus has. I, mean, I, I, I don't want her to help follow that lead because she has to, but because she, she gets to. But you read a passage like this, and you go, man, I'm not really good at that. I'll be honest with you, I'm not good at it all the time either. I, 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 don't, I don't do great at this all the time in my marriage. But I tell you this today, I want to be better today than I was yesterday at it and stronger tomorrow in that. You see, husband, you and I are to love and lead our wives like Jesus loves and leads us. We, we do struggle. We don't always do well. But I got to thinking for a minute, preparing for this marriage conference we did a couple weekends ago and today, just how it is that Jesus loves me. More than just saying it, how does he practically love me in my life? Well, well number one, he, he loves me unconditionally based upon his promises and not my performance. So maybe, just maybe, I, I can love my wife based on my promise to her almost 15 years ago and not based on her performance. Jesus loves me that way. I got to thinking how he loves me and, and he's patient with me. He's He's kind to me. Can I tell you something I've, I've known of Jesus ever since I started walking with him a while ago? Never once has he been a jerk to me. Never once. Never once has he been a jerk to me. Hey, never once has he said, you know, I'm packing my bags and I'm leaving. I found somebody better. He's, he's never once done that. He works in love for my good and his glory. He even promises that in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He sacrificed everything for me. And here we are in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're called as husbands to love and lead your wives like Jesus. Can I tell you something? Somebody walks in this room today, and they threaten my, my wife without question. I will die protecting her. But let me ask you, husband, are you willing to do something harder? What about the enemy inside of me? My sin nature, my desire. Let me tell you the harder thing to do than laying down your life for your wife, and that is daily dying so that she might live and be loved well. That's the harder call. Oh, man, I love this. I read this. The gift of marriage is to know her fully, to love her unconditionally, to respect her always, to forgive her often, and to embrace her closely. But you might say, man, but what if she don't deserve it? That's not your call. Your calling is to love your wife as Jesus has loved you. Why? Because you ready? We is greater than me. Let me make this statement. You ready? Wife the only way your husband is going to love you good is if he loves Jesus greater. Husband, the only way your wife is going to love you good is if she loves Jesus. She loves Jesus greater. You say, well, what if my spouse isn't there yet? And you know what? You join the chorus of so many. You say, my spouse just isn't there. And you stand in the gap. 
you fight the good fight. You live out this we is greater than me in hopes to lovingly win your husband, your wife, to this buy-in and to investing that we is greater than me. How, how do you invest in here? Can I give you just three quick ways? How do, I, how do I invest in? How do I buy into we is greater than me? Hey, number one, dialogue and devote daily. That means talk to each other. Turn off your screens, kick the kids out of the room, and go, how you doing? Men, expect your wives to take the next 30 minutes to tell you every bit of history about her day. Ladies, expect your husband to grunt and maybe scratch. And listen, that's how you dialogue. You get the conversation started. Devote daily. Where you pray with each other, and you take a little devotional like this. It's a paragraph. And you read it together. You dialogue and you devote daily. What's, what else do we do? Well, let me tell you this. You got to date weekly. And then you don't know how hard it is. Really? I got four kids. Now, I know exactly how hard it is. Now, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I got a small business. Man, listen, I get it. But I'm going to tell you something. Almost every week out of the year, I take time to date my wife. Sometimes that may look just like a drive around Sevierville back. Man, I've got to invest in and remember why we is greater than me. And here's the last thing. How about departing annually? Get away from everybody. Just you and your spouse. It may get a cabin because you know somebody owns one. Go to the beach. Kick your kids out. Light some candles in the house. Be fruitful and multiply. Whatever it takes, you depart annually. And you invest in the we being greater than me. I've heard it said this way. A successful marriage requires falling in love over and over again. But always with the same person. Be bought into and invest in weeds greater than me. Dave Willis would say this, great marriages don't happen by, by luck or accident. They are the result of a cons- consistent investment of time, thoughtfulness, forgiveness, affection, prayer, mutual respect, and a rock-solid commitment between a husband and a wife. Because you know what Paul reminds us to at the end of all of this in Ephesians? Watch this. Here's what he reminds us about our marriages, that maybe just maybe they're more than just about us. This is a profound mystery, he says in verse 32 but I am talking about Christ in the church. I found this to be true. Matthew Jacobson would say that your marriage is the gospel that you're preaching to your kids. And also, I would say, to the world. A gospel that takes broken and imperfect people and through Jesus makes them in their marriages trophies of God's grace. And the only way we get there is if we is greater than me. Some of you can't change your first marriage. Some of you are still hurts in the brokenness. But in the marriage that God presents you now, that you're in now, we is greater than me. Some of y'all are on the verge of signing papers, of abandoning a spouse and leaving them, hoping the grass is greener on the other side, usually because it's growing up under a busted septic tank. But anyway, the grass is greener. Hey, don't do it. Some of y'all are, your marriage is broken. Don't abandon it. Some of you, my marriage is dead. Let Jesus breathe life into it. I found this. I'm going to close in this. And a group of motion picture engineers classified the following as the 10 most dramatic sounds in a movie. A baby's cry, they mentioned. The blast of a siren, the thunder of breakers on the rocks. 
a roar of a forest fire, a foghorn, a, a, a slow drip of water, the galloping of horses, the sound of a distant train whistle, the howl of a dog, and the wedding march, the wedding song that we're all so familiar with. And one of these sounds, they write, causes more emotional response and upheaval than any other, has the power to bring forth almost every human emotion, sadness, envy, regret, sorrow, tears, as well as supreme joy, and it is the wedding song. And so what is to the end that I preach today? That you and I would be so bought into we is greater than me that even at the sound of our marriage, even as that song is sung day in and day out, even in the Monday in our marriages, that at just the sound of your marriage and mine, it would fill our hearts with joy. Because as imperfect as it is, we is greater than me. And Jesus brings such great joy into our marriages. Let's pray together, can we? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.